Welcome to today's edition of the Bible Class. Our teacher, Dr. Kenneth C. Hill, is teaching from the New Testament book of 2 Peter. You may send your questions by email through our website at whcbradio.org. That's whcbradio.org. You may mail your questions to the Bible Class, care of WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Bluntville, Tennessee, 37617. And now, here is Dr. Hill with today's lesson. Welcome to the Bible class. We're continuing in our study of the second epistle, general, of Peter. That is, Second Peter. And we're finishing up at chapter 1. Chapter 1, we've discussed about uh, much of it, but I've got a little bit more I want to talk about chapter 1. We were commenting on the steps to heaven, and these were your faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love, all of this being a result of the precious faith that we have in Christ Jesus. And we find, of course, all of this in Second Peter chapter 1. We... Note that the fuller measure of these virtues, the greater uh, will be our understanding, our knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If we know Christ, we have life eternal. And there's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Someone has said that this is a seven-story and basement building. You add a story to story, but to be sure to put faith at the foundation. If you try to build without the proper foundation, the proper base, then the building will become top-heavy and crumble, fall over. To be sure, faith is the foundation grace. But a foundation is of little use if there's no building that's built upon the foundation. During the days of the Depression, it was a common sight in the United States, and in the days of the Great Recession, it's been the same, to see frameworks of great buildings standing and nothing being added to them. Weeds growing around it, abandoned by the men who had begun a good work but didn't have the money to finish it. The foundation, apparently, was substantial and was adequate and was engineered properly, but for years it was entirely useless because nothing was added to make it usable. I know of a building that's been that way, or at least the shell of a building's been that way, for probably 15 or 20 years in Oklahoma City, the Oklahoma City area. And I've never been able to find out what happened. But here is this five or six story, maybe seven story building that has nothing but the steel and the foundation with the steel upon it, and that's it. Nothing else. We're told, of course, by Christ himself, that if we're going to build a tower, we should sit down first and count the cost. If we're going to go to war, we need to be a general that counts how many casualties he's going to have and how much firepower he needs to win the battle. As a Christian, and this is where Christ was going with all of that. As a Christian, we need to make sure that we are equipped 
with God's armor, grace, and provision. Peter was similar to Paul in that he warned Christians not to stand still and do nothing. We're not to remain babies in Christ. We're not to uh, trip over every teaching, but we're to grow strong in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter writes there in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 9, He that lacketh these things, those virtues we talked about, is blind and cannot see afar off. Nearsighted Christians are unfit. They don't have those virtues. So be sure of your position in Christ. Don't ever doubt your calling in Christ. Spare no effort to put God's call and choice beyond all doubt. Spare no effort in your prayer life, in your study life, and in talking with older and mature Christians. Life is full of so much uncertainty, but you don't have to be uncertain in the things that are spiritual. A spiritual certainty produces a stability in life, and Peter reminds us there in verse 10, For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And he tells us in verse 10, that's verse 11, but in verse 10, Wherefore the rather brethren give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if you shall do these things, you shall never fall. And so it is. So then we find there in verse 11 that our ambition should be to have a full life in Christ. We want to have an abundant entrance into the haven of rest, that is Christ's eternal kingdom. Peter, like Paul, was aware and very conscious of his approaching death. He had a beautiful name for death. He says he is going to put off his tabernacle. The Moffat translation calls it the folding up of my tent. Because Peter knew he was about to leave them, he wanted to stir them up by putting them in remembrance of what he knew so well. His memory pictured before him the great transfiguration scene. There he had witnessed the glory of Christ. Any doubts as to the reality of Christ or of Christ coming again in power was forever banished from his mind. God himself had borne testimony of his glory and honor. And that voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Peter had heard the voice of God from above. This is the testimony of God. It's the testimony of deity. Now Peter knew for sure. He wanted all of those who would read his epistle to know that he was not telling them fairy stories when he told them of the power and the soon coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He wanted everyone to know that he was an eyewitness to the majesty of God, the majesty of Christ as God was speaking to them and Christ himself was glorified. Peter suffered and died for this truth, he told it, and he died for it. At one time he said, We cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard, 
in Acts chapter 4, verse 20. Sometimes I think people depend too much on feelings instead of on what they know. Our knowledge of Christ should be based upon the facts of Christ. Peter didn't want the Christians to rest on feelings. When the devil sees a poor soul in agony and on the waves of sin getting close to the rock of ages, he just holds out the plank of feeling to him and says, Get on that plank of feeling. Feel more comfortable. You feel comfortable now, don't you? Well, the man stands out there getting his breath again. Out goes the plank from under him, and he's worse off than ever because it was nothing more than feelings. Added to this evidence of the transfiguration is the more sure word of prophecy found there in verse 19. That is God's word. This is prophecy made sure. Prophecy made sure. This does not put Christian experience, which was the vision of transfiguration on the mount, over against prophecy. But it says the word of prophecy is confirmed by experience. They go together. There's much light on the inspiration of scriptures given by Peter there in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10, 11, and 12. Uh, and in uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 4 and 16 through 21. And chapter 3, verse 15, and I'll just read that last one. And account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. Notice Paul is mentioned again here in Second Peter. Remember the divine origin of the scriptures. Private interpretation means private origin, and God is the one who has spoken, not some individual. So, we need to have revival in our hearts and let it begin in me. Let it begin in you. Revival needs to be ours. One of the commentators wrote that there was a native of India writing to a friend about a great revival they were having. And he said, we're having a great re-Bible here. R-E-B-I-B-L-E. -E. Well, that's not a bad idea, is it? We need to be re-Bibled. We need to be in God's Word. God's Word needs to be in us. Going on to chapter 2 of Second Peter. What Peter has been telling us is that we are to be grounded in the truth. Here in 2 Peter, chapter 2, at beginning verse 1, we find a warning of false prophets and false teachers. Verse 1, chapter 2, 2 Peter. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily, or we would say privately, shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be speak, uh, evil spoken of. These pernicious, meaning terrible, 
ungodly efforts that they're doing, these damnable heresies, denying the Lord that paid for them with his own blood, they cause Christians, true Christians, Bible-believing, born-again, blood-washed saints, to be evil spoken of. Verse 3, And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. This is the opposite of true revelation. This is the opposite of true knowledge, of true grace, of true understanding. This is the message of false prophets and false teachers who deceive the very flock of God and bring in these damnable heresies, as it's mentioned here in verse 1. These heresies are unorthodox teachings. They're untrue. They include an open denial of Christ himself. The phrase is denying the Lord that bought them. That indicates that Christ's atonement potentially extends to all men, including these false teachers who reject him. Therefore, they will experience destruction because they themselves will be deceived by their own teaching and continue to reject the way of truth. If they had only come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, to a recognition that what they were teaching was false to the point that they could forsake it, but that is not to happen for them. Then we see a future judgment for the world. I hear people saying, well, is the end of the world near? I've heard this for years and years. I've ministered in various conferences, churches, revival meetings, preaching all over the country and around the world. And oftentimes when we have questions and answers, the questions come when will Christ return, or how soon do you think Christ is coming for his own? Here is an answer, and this is a biblical answer to those kind of questions, and it is Peter giving a prophecy of the future universal judgment that's going to come yet uh, upon us. It's not yet here, but it's coming. See what Peter said, verse 4. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example for those that should live, that after should live ungodly, and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations, 
and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. Now, we see here the future universal judgment in the backdrop of these former judgments. God did not spare the angels that followed after Satan, but he cast them down to hell. He delivered them into chains of darkness. They're reserved there in those chains until his time of judgment. So we see that one instance of judgment. We see in verse 5 another, he spared not, that is, God spared not the old world, that is, the antediluvian world, the world before the flood, but saved Noah, the eighth person, that means he saved Noah and seven others, the preacher, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Now, who were spared? Eight people. Noah, a preacher of righteousness, one that found grace in the sight of the Lord, and his three sons and their wives and Noah's wife. And so that's the second instance of judgment. Now the third instance of judgment is the destruction of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, God condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. We are to look back to Sodom and Gomorrah and see the judgment that God gave. And we're told that the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah are okay in today's, um, today's world of hedonism. But it wasn't then, and it's not now. Verse 7 shows that there was some salvation in the midst of the destruction. God delivered just Lot. Now, some would say... He only delivered Lot, but that's not what the scripture says. The word just there means justified or righteous. Yes, Lot lacked a lot. <laughs> Lot was not outwardly what he apparently was inwardly. He is referred to here, and he's referred to in the book of Hebrews as being a just man, a righteous man who was vexed with the filthy lifestyles of the wicked in Sodom and Gomorrah. For the righteous man, that is, Lot, dwelling among them, seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. And then it goes on in verse 9, The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations. God knows how to take care of you in the midst of struggles, and God will deliver you if you're his. And he also knows how to reserve those who are wayward, those who are lost, those who are unjust, unto the day of judgment for their punishment. The future universal judgment of the world is illustrated by the reference to the flood, or the cataclysm of Noah's day. It came upon that old world. The universal extent of the floods assumed by Peter as an illustration of coming universal judgment at the end of this age. The deliverance of Lot is used to illustrate the fact that God will deliver his own from the coming universal judgment. And so when Peter says it's going to come, that is, universal judgment is going to come, 
you should believe it because he is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And if God did not spare the angels that sinned, if he did not spare the old world, if he did not spare the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, why, tell me why, should God spare this world in this day and age? There is no reason, if we look to Scripture, if we look to even our own understanding, there's no reason for God to spare the evil of this age. But judgment is to come. Thank you for joining us today for this edition of the Bible Class with Dr. Kenneth C. Hill. You may reach us by email by going to our website, whcbradio.org, and sending us an email on the Contact Us link. That's whcbradio.org. If you prefer to use the postal service, our address is the Bible Class, WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Blountville, Tennessee, 37617. That's the Bible Class, care of WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Bumble, Tennessee, 37617. You may also call us at 423-878-6279. Until our next Bible class program, we are trusting that the Lord will richly bless you as you serve Him.